0: all right ready to go reg i'm all set microphone's in a good spot today comfortable chair so i think we're all set no uh you have to warm up in the bullpen let's just get right out and start the game here you ready to go i am all right what oh okay well poor you (laughs) and you'll get the reference to that later all right, don't worry about that. Just okay. You got everything? Good. Yeah, the levels look good. Keep them there. I'll give you the um, the three S's. I'll give you the countdown. I'll give you give me the music of you I'll give you a podcast. How's that? All right. Put it in the book. 281, episode two, eight All right, here we go. <clears throat> Star, smile, strong. All right. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com, or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, to rate it. But if you're a regular listener, you know by now that your obligation does not end just by hitting play. No, no, no. We want you to become part of the family. Have a stake in this podcast, which means get out there and spread the word. Send a link, send a message, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody you know who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and your devotion, and of course, that little extra effort, is most appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, if you're a long-time listener or maybe a new listener, Don't forget, you go to the WGN uh, website, you go to the podcast section, hit the prompt for this podcast, and you will find all, hopefully, previous podcasts that we have been making and storing away in the vaults for more than five years. There should be 280 in there somewhere. So welcome to episode 281. What I want to talk about today is uh, somewhat in the news in the entertainment world. Over the past a week or so, uh, a new movie was released that was delayed for a while in its making and its release because of the pandemic, but it has finally found its way. Out into the World, released to both theaters and, of course, which is now not only the trend, but most likely, and I've talked about this before, most likely will become um, the established way of releasing a film with um, a simultaneous theater and streaming service debut. And this one was at theaters a couple of weeks ago when it was released, as well as on its first day. Available right in the home. Nothing extra. No video on demand. No $30. If you had HBO Max, you clicked it on, and there was a first-run movie. I have to say, it was immensely convenient. (laughs) Um, As somebody that has been going to movies for most of their life and, and for, for some years was actually my job as a movie reviewer for some publications and things. Um, so I went to, it went to the movie theaters because you really had no choice. Every so often the, the stu- studios in the early days would send you video cassette tapes and later DVDs, but the whole DVD thing got... Uh, so complex because it was digital and people were burning them and sharing them and putting them on the Internet and things were leaking. There used to be a lot more, uh, what can I say, I guess ethics. (laughs) There was just just this kind of unwritten code. If you were sent a, a screener to your home, uh, you know, on a VHS, especially in those days. Yeah, I mean, it was possible to record, make a copy of it and give it to your friends. But even if you did, your that universe was very small. But once digital happened and once the internet was there and you could literally send things around the world, uh, piracy became a much bigger deal. Easier to do, easier to flaunt. With the introduction of Napster early on, any kind of entertainment, whether it was films or music, became, in many people's minds, just shareable. That's what you do. I'm going to give it to my friends. Now, don't don't get me wrong. The whole idea of sharing your favorite movies or your favorite, um, especially music, is nothing new to the digital age. Napster just took advantage of the worldwide reach that the internet provided. But if anybody was around in the 70s and 80s, you know that uh, if a friend of yours uh, bought bought an album, many times you borrowed that album and recorded it on a cassette tape in the 70s and certainly in the 80s. I mean, that was commonplace. So there was a, a copyright infringement that was basically sharing as as Napster was file sharing it was just not a file it was the hard copy but we did that all the time. So uh, you know everybody has always been kind of fast and loose with the rules here but obviously the uh, the internet's global reach made it a major deal. If if I if I borrowed a friend's album and copied it on a cassette yeah i i I took some royalties away from the artist and the record company uh but i didn't i didn't share that with a million people and there was odds are that I bought it another time and a lot of times being the record collector I was a lot of times I bought it taped it, listened to it, and then I needed to have that hard copy so I bought it anyway so actually for in many ways at least for me and I don't know how it was with other people that whole idea of a friend uh, borrowing you their album and you recording it it was almost great promotion because for me if I liked it I most likely went out and bought the hard copy I just didn't have the the homemade cassette version I needed to have the official album you know with the cover and the cover art and the and the lyrics and the whole deal so to be honest with you yes I mean uh initially it was illegal right and it was against copyrights and i you know we were not being fair to the artist and the record company by by me copying it and vice versa but at least in my case um it turned out it was really good promotion because i got a chance to listen to the album liked it and i went out and bought it anyway so this whole idea of uh you know having entertainment at your home, um, is, is certainly nothing new, but, uh, it's a, it, during the pandemic, you know, this whole idea of first run released films on the day of their release being sent to the home, that that's a major deal. It's going to be very interesting. And I talked about this before, about a year ago when, when all of these pandemic affected, um, businesses were kind of trying to figure out what was next and how do they survive and and how do they perhaps change their business model now of course the content providers for years have wanted to send the content right to people's homes as i said before it was so convenient i just put on hbo max and there it was not even a a special you know an extra payment like a pay-per-view it was there because i get hbo max um, and so that's what, uh, studios for years have wanted to do that. But at the same time, they realize that, uh, there certainly is a, uh, a major segment of their audience that wants to go to the theater to see it, to have all of that experience there, the big screen nowadays, the amazing sound as well as, you know, the popcorn and, and all that stuff. And for mostly in the last twenty years, with the rise of the superhero in the in the fantasy film genre uh you know that is the way these films are made. they're big, they're loud, they're visual, and at the same time uh they're appealing to younger kids and younger kids, especially in that in that little odd age group of you know like 12 to 16 or 17 you know they want to get out of the house they don't want to sit at home and watch a movie with their parents they want to be with their friends and so there you know the 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 movie theater is a, a convenient escape from their parents a chance to hang with their friends and a chance to be entertained so it's it's the perfect haven for a for an adolescent and a, and, a, and a young teen, and certainly the the movie theaters know that, and that's why they've made the movie theaters now like they're almost amusement parks because they are they're they're they're, <laughs> they're entertaining and babysitting young adolescents. So they've got to be uh, multi uh, multi faceted. They have to be multi sensory. There's got to be a lot of things going on. Game rooms, the movies, places to eat, you know, in the good old days, I don't know if there ever were such a thing I mean, a movie theater you went and 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 the big thing, the big added attraction was you got popcorn there, and it was for some reason the popcorn at the at the theater was always better than the one you made at home, at least it was for me, and uh maybe it was- and maybe it really wasn't. Truly, but it was the ambiance, but that was the big thing. It was just, you know, you walked in, you went to the counter, you got your thing and you went to the seat. There's nothing else going on now. My gosh, they have party rooms, I mean, it's, you know, a movie theater is, is so much more than just uh, a big room with screens and some seats like it used to be. Uh, So yeah, uh, this film was one of the ones that now is becoming commonplace. So I'm not going to keep you waited anymore. Uh, the new uh, Sopranos-related film, The Many Saints of Newark, was released a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to talk about this because even if you're not a Sopranos fan, if you are, I think you'll certainly find it interesting. But even if you're not, I think there's something to be said for this entire genre and this specific uh creative entity no, no, known as the Sopranos because it really says a lot about where we are and who we are and once again, you know, how the the younger, uh, you know, kind of demographic really does drive what we like and what we don't like, or what's popular or not. And and if you ever forget that, there's moments like this when you're reminded of it. So I have to start out by saying, first of all, that I was a major fan of The Sopranos when it was on in the, um, in the late 90s and, and early 2000s. And it really was event kind of television. If you weren't around, if you were too young for it, um you probably you you sadly you missed it. Uh there, there was still a time then, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands, when there was still something known as the water cooler show. And that whole concept of the water cooler show basically meant that there was there were shows that were so popular and so many people were watching them that the next day, supposedly, at the water cooler, at work, everybody, you know, in the morning or around noon or whatever, or at lunchtime, that everybody just huddled around and said, wow, did you see blank yesterday? Whether it was Seinfeld or whether it was, uh, you know, like I'm saying, The Sopranos or whether for a while there it was Lost Uh, whatever it was, there were certain shows that were so big and so popular that it transcended that and it was like a water cooler show. Everybody watched it. And maybe even some people that weren't really into it still watched it because they didn't want to be left out. But that was the whole thing. There was a buzz about the next day. Oh, my gosh, did you see that? Now, once again, uh, this was also in a time, this this concept of the water cooler show was also... At a time before we had social media and, and the Internet being such a, an essential part of, of, of society like it is now. Now, as soon as a show airs, people are, while it's airing, people are commenting online. But this is the time before that when there wasn't social media. You might have emailed with your friends, but not like it is now. You don't hit all these social media sites and see, you know, between Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and see everybody uh, making comments about everything in the world. So, literally, that next day, people saw it and reacted to it personally and then got to work, literally, and started talking about it. That doesn't happen anymore. That's That's gone. That's forever gone. There's no such thing as a water cooler show anymore. They may use that term uh, as a reference, but it's, uh, it's really not as true as it really was at a time. Now, maybe you didn't congregate at the water cooler, but that's where, you know, in... in in, a, in an earlier time, in, in in an office life in the fifties and sixties, that's where people did kind of congregate in the in the break room by the coffee machine or by the water cooler. I don't even know if people even have water coolers anymore. You know, you, remember, you know, those. I mean, everybody carries their own water with them now, right? <laughs> but um, but the, the the Sopranos really were maybe perhaps when you think about it, may have been. One of the last water cooler shows. Uh, certainly, Lost was was one of those as well, but Lost was a little more within the social media world, whereas The Sopranos were were ended in 2007, which was right around when the same year when the smartphone was introduced and really it was the smartphone that accelerated social media so there was a little of that going on but not as much it was still you reacted you reacted and and shared things with your friends the next day uh but the sopranos started um in early i think in january of 1999 and then it was uh it was over with uh in 2007 with the the famous ambiguous finale ending, we never know, and we still don't know, the the creator and the director and the main writer of the show, David Chase, remains cagey on was Tony killed in that diner with his family that night, was he not? Was it just another weird, tension-filled, stress-filled day or moment in the life of a gangster whose life at any time could be taken out like that we never knew i and i i don't know if i've talked about it here but i remember the night that that happened on you know the the, the famous sopranos finale and i'm sorry but okay that was more than 14 years ago so the spoiler alert Statute of limitations is gone, I think, after 14 years. If you haven't seen the finale of The Sopranos by now, sorry. Uh, I'm going to spoil it for you. Uh, you've had more than enough time. It's It was on originally. It's on DVD, and it's on it's on HBO. You could watch every episode you want. It's out there if you wanted to see it. So uh, I'm sorry. if you, I'm, I'm spoiling the ending if you don't know it by now. If you don't know the ending by now, then I don't think you've ever wanted to. But, uh, when the, when the, when the screen goes black, I really, and I was not alone. I later on found out at the next day at the water cooler at work. Uh, but, uh, I thought my television and my cables had, 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 had gone out and I'm like, Oh my God, can you believe this has happened right at the key moment here? my, my, my. My my the screen went black, my my, my, my my cable transmission is gone. Only to find out then the credits began to roll and you go, Uh oh. Wow. People still talking about it. And and sometimes in in terms of great reverence and respect, and people still disappointed and still feeling unfulfilled by that ending, by not knowing after investing, you know, eight years in that show. And, and literally, uh, it, when, 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 when it was on, every episode on that, it was on Sunday nights, and the next day you talked about it, and you waited for that episode. If you were a fan of that show, and there were quite a few, it was almost, it was event television, it was appointment television, it was like a Super Bowl was on every week on a Sunday. Now I know a lot of people uh, probably were not fans of The Sopranos as well uh because it was a very violent show, no question about it. It was very crude. You know, it's about a it was about a modern day mobster family, uh but also shown not just on the side of the crim- the, the the criminal aspect, but also trying to show the human side of what it's like to live to try to have a family in this to deal with the emotions of what is of what your personal line of work is or what your your father's line of work is or your husband's line of work is and and all those complex issues that surround that but it certainly was a mob story as well and 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 it certainly uh did in many ways uh I don't know if it it made it look grandiose, but it certainly highlighted what went on and, and it was shown in very realistic terms. And a lot of people uh, just like they are during a big shootout scene in a western or a big explosion scene in a, in a in a big special effects movie. the same thing here on the sopranos, when there was some kind of violent act from on one one mob against the other. Um, people talked about it. Wow, did you see that? And some of these these murders, I mean, murder is murder, right? But some of these murders certainly were, were elaborate and uh, were eye-popping. Uh, they were uh, graphic and elaborate and dramatic and emotional. And so people reacted to them. Now, certainly, uh, as in many shows or movies that depict the mafia, uh, the... And the mob world, uh, a lot of Italian-Americans were vehemently and remained vehemently against the uh, Sopranos and the depiction that it uh, presented of uh, Italian-American uh, people and families. And I mean that in a family way, not in the family, not in the mafia family kind of way. And I think that's legitimate. I never looked at it that way. I'm a huge fan of The Godfather. I'm a huge fan of Goodfellas, Goodfellas, and uh, you know Martin Scorsese films, Mean Streets, all those kind of movies. I love The Sopranos. Uh, I while I, I'm half Italian, half Polish. <clears throat> obviously, my last name is Toronto, an Italian name, and I've always uh, because my my mother's side, uh, I was not as close with her f- family side uh i w- I always identified more with my italian heritage i 'm trying to embrace more of my polish side now um because i i, I did i did, i did feel that i neglected that but that was those were the traditions that i was i was great i was raised in so it was it, it, it there was meaning attached to those but um but i 've never felt that way I, I i i and i think you know i, I understand the the, the viewpoint of certain Italian-Americans, and they even address that many times within The Sopranos. Uh, and I understand that, but at the same time, it is, a fact of, it is a fact, and this is ultimately fictionalized. And so, yes, it's a, a depiction, but, uh, but w- throughout history, we have depicted many races and many ethnicities um, in stereotypical ways, too. Now, obviously, Italian Americans take great offense because most of the time it is this mob-related, and it's usually violent, and and it's it's not just uh, a little idiosyncrasy. It's it's pretty pretty graphic and pretty pretty mean stuff. But uh, so I understand that. But I never looked at it. I always looked at The Godfather, uh, Goodfellas, Sopranos, other related as fictional stories as elevated or enhanced reality for entertainment's sake i've always felt that i can separate the two so uh but i do know some friends who are italian and they said yeah i had a hard time i i i really never watched it because of that and i understand that and i respect them but i also think that they they uh they missed some great drama some great television uh because there that what what I what I think made the sopranos interesting and and made it stand out was that it wasn't all violence and there was just as much attention paid to the emotional side and the other issues that went into this and the personal side of these people that made it interesting it wasn't just a shoot 'em up Uh, you know, anti-Italian American show by any means. In fact, you know, what's funny is the hook of The Sopranos initially was the fact that a mobster was going to see a psychiatrist. Now, sadly, the woman who played Tony's mother, who was the focal point of Tony's panic attacks, which initially sent him to a psychiatrist. After one or two, after two seasons, two or three seasons, uh, the actress who played his mother so expertly, Nancy Marchand, sadly passed away. And so that dynamic of Tony and his mother seeing their interactions, and their very difficult relationship unfold. And then to see Tony then in the psychiatrist's office telling his psychiatrist about his mother and their recent troubles and to see how he portrayed those and to hear how the psychiatrist was trying to help him work through that, that was a... a, 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 that was, that was a, a truly interesting dynamic that had never really been um, experimented with in a real emotional way, and sadly, that aspect was gone when she died, even though he continued to see the psychiatrist, because that was a major focal point of the show, but other aspects of his life, obviously, then became dominant, not... The mother and every, and, and the, but the but but the mother's influence on him always uh, was woven through that because it was a part of who he was when he grew up. But that dynamic with her—if she would have lived to the end of the show—I believe The Sopranos would have been a completely different show because you could uh, the his mother was so key to who he was and how he viewed life, and how he went about his life, that uh, uh, that would have just only been more rich and more interesting. Now, I recall, if you remember, before The Sopranos, there was a film with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro called Analyze This. And if you remember, the the, f- the whole focus of the movie, and this was before The Sopranos, the focus of the film was that Robert De Niro played a mobster who went to see a psychiatrist. Now, the difference between Analyze This and The Sopranos is that that was a comedy with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. Uh, but nonetheless, it still had that dynamic in it. And that was really the first time that, you know, that that was, was, was uh, you know, explored. So it was interesting because both of those films or both of these shows analyzed this and The Sopranos came out in the same year. Right around the same time, I believe The Sopranos came out sometime in January and Analyze this came out in March. So, I mean, it was very strange that this whole idea of a, of a mobster going to see a psychiatrist and talking about the stresses of his quote-unquote job uh, was, a, was, a, was a completely new concept to mine as a, as a entertainment type of thing, whether it's comedy or drama. And yet here, there were two right in a row, right on top of each other. And I remember actually hearing about this movie that it was coming out with De Niro. I'm a huge De Niro fan and I always liked Billy Crystal. So I was looking forward to seeing this film and I knew the concept that, you know, it was about a mobster going to see a psychiatrist and then, all of a sudden, there's this news about this new TV show that's going to premiere on HBO about The Sopranos. And this also, the focal point, is a mobster and his psychiatrist. And I remember, actually, because you have to remember, it's it's hard to do this now, but I do remember, you know, nobody knew anything about The Sopranos. It was a... Completely new show. There were not any major stars. James Gandolfini was had bit parts in some movies. He made a few big movies, but he was always a side character, never a lead. So he was not a major star. Uh, David Chase was certainly not one of the major. I mean, he his his career went way back to the. The show Kolchak, if you remember that from the 70s, which it's on, on reruns some places, The Night Stalker. Uh, but David Chase was not a well-known name. He wasn't like David E. Kelly or, or some of these other people that were doing dramas, Aaron Sorkin. It wasn't like he was that. So this show, really, the Sopranos really snuck up on people. It didn't, it, it didn't have a major pedigree walking in. All the, I mean, the for, for most people, like myself, I I remember uh, seeing that Stevie Van Zandt, who was Bruce Springsteen's guitarist for many years, and the E Street Band was in it, and I was like, why is Steve Van Zandt in this? He's not even an actor. But that's what kind of first draw my, drew my attention to it as well. But there were no Academy Award winners here. Uh, there were really good actors and actresses. Like I said, Nancy Mershan played Mrs. Pinchon from Lou Grant. Fine. Um, uh, You know, Lorraine Bracco probably was the best known of any of them. She played the wife in Goodfellas, a few other movies. Um, But uh, for the most part, um, you know, like I said before, James Gandolfini was, was no uh was no big star none of his none of his his cohorts were um so you know edie Fal, uh uh, uh you know and now i'm blanking on her name is it edie falco yeah Um, <laughs> um you know she wasn't a big star she was in a lot of shows but she was not what you would consider uh, a big star at that time. The Sopranos made a lot of people stars. So it, it kind of was flying under the radar screen when it first came out. And it then, and I remember kind of being a little questionable, question about it, just because I was like, well, they basically are stealing, you know, the... The whole concept from Analyze This, which was certainly much more high profile with, oh, uh, you know, with Billy Crystal and with, uh, with Robert De Niro. That was a major, major thing. But I'll tell you, from the first episode, I was hooked. There's no question about it. It was well written. It was well acted, and 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 so yeah. I, I mean, I was just a major Sopranos fan from the beginning to the end. Now, interestingly enough, the show went off in twenty seventeen. That's fourteen years ago, or twenty oh seven. That's fourteen years ago. I have them all on. I have the entire you know the entire show on DVD. I could watch it anytime. I have HBO, I could watch, and now it's the streaming, I could watch it anytime I want. As much as I watched every episode and couldn't wait for every episode to come out on that Sunday night for eight years, interestingly, I never really went back and watched the entire show again in its entirety. Every so often I believe A&E had it on for a while but uh when it when it first went off the air but they they would they 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 edited it and they 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 bleeped out the swearing which is impossible on the soprano so it really was a a half-baked version of it. But now the uncut unedited versions are out there and I had as I said before I had the dvd so I could have watched it anytime I wanted. I don't know why I, I, you know, I'm somebody that loves reruns and I, I, I know, you know, I could tell you line and verse for many shows, the honeymooners, Columbo, Andy Griffith, Dick Van Dyke. I mean, you know, I mean, I've, i seen, you know, Seinfeld. I mean, I I know these shows backwards and forwards, the odd couple. And so yet here was one of my favorite shows of all time. And yet for some reason, I never really went back. To watch it again. It was almost as if those those episodes were, were frozen in time for me because I knew it was going to happen. And the drama, that's the thing. Those shows were so well-written and the drama was so real that when you knew the outcome ahead of time now in a rerun, it kind of lost It's impact because when you watch those first run episodes every Sunday, you really didn't know what was going to happen next. And you just waited for something. And that anticipation of the show was almost a part of the show itself. The anticipation that you as a viewer brought. And sometimes an episode delivered on exactly the anticipation that it built and it delivered on it and some episodes you were expecting something to happen and it didn't and even when that happened like that the finale especially but that's the thing that that's where you know good writing it hooked you and you weren't disappointed you were just surprised and so many TV shows and movies are so predictable; we know where they're going, especially at a certain point. And if you watch enough movies and if you watch enough television, you know you can you can predict where this was going. And when they do, when that when that rare show does have a twist that you never saw coming, then that makes it even more exciting and more fun. But then, at that moment, when you're first seeing it, you go, wow, they got me. I never saw that coming. And it's it's really an an, an, an exciting feeling to be surprised like that. And the Sopranos were filled with those that I think that one reason I never went back to watch them is because now that I knew it was going to happen, that little jolt, that I got every week there was at least one or two or three jolts like that in a Sopranos episode that I never saw coming. And it was almost like there was no sense to try to recreate that jolt because you can't because now you know it. Because I did initially try to watch them again, and while they were well-written and I enjoyed them, I still knew where it was going, and I was like, well, I I know know it's not a surprise anymore. So as much as I'm a Sopranos fan and was completely immersed in the show when it was on, in the last 14 years since it's been off, I can honestly say that I have not been immersed in it. To the point that I was certainly looking forward to this new film called The Many Saints of Newark, which rather than expanding on and continuing the modern day story of the sopranos it went back in time 20 years 25 years before to show the origin stories of many of the beloved characters including tony soprano as you know a teenager And even earlier than that, when the show starts, and then some other side characters that never appeared or never played any kind of prominent role. But in this, they did have a life, and then they were gone before the Sopranos show took place in the 90s. So it was an interesting concept to go back and look at some of the beginnings of some of these characters that we knew well, as well as. To see some characters that were only referred to, like the main character, Christopher uh, Molisante's father, um, and who was just mentioned, never shown. And that's where he becomes the main character of this new film. But so I was looking forward to seeing the film, and then it was delayed, and then they decided, you know, they finally announced it's gonna come out. So I certainly was looking forward to it. And I did watch it on the first day it it, it, it was available. I think it was October first, it was a Friday, and so it was like, okay, gotta watch the the Sopranos film. But before that, on HBO to and and they it was wise to do this, they started to replay all the Sopranos episodes. Eight seasons worth. To get you, to get, you know, to wet your appetite for this movie and, you know, just to, you know, to, to, to bring the entire Sopranos catalog and the entire Sopranos show back into the pop culture realm and to, to, to raise its, to raise its profile in order to promote the film. No question about that. Now I didn't watch the entire run from beginning to end i didn't even know that they were showing this marathon but i did catch uh maybe the last there was about there was a i I mean for two for two solid days on a weekend i watched like seven or eight episodes i watched like 14 episodes like two seasons worth you know right after one another it was definitely a binge weekend a couple of both days and it wasn't at the beginning of the show and it wasn't at the very end. It was right towards the little, a little past the middle. And it really was the first time that I had sat down and watched The Sopranos in any real way with that same kind of interest. And I think I was able to do it because it had been 15 years since I watched it. 14 years, right? And for since the show went off the air and some of these episodes even longer more than 15 years and i certainly remembered a lot of the the overall story arcs but i didn't remember a lot of the specifics so to be honest while i was watching these episodes it was almost like watching them over again and there were moments where I didn't think I knew it was going to happen, and then I went, "Oh, that's right." This Doesn't this blah blah blah? So I knew it was going, but there was enough time had passed that I didn't know it by heart. I hadn't, I didn't remember it like it just happened because it hadn't. And while I have a very good memory, uh, without watching it almost at all over the last fifteen years, I forgot a lot of the small details and a lot of the small little side stories that happened at least initially, and then I remembered some of them, but I still wasn't sure. So there was a freshness to the show. Even though I knew it, I didn't know it like the back of my hand. And I found myself engrossed once again, which really is a testament to how well that show was written, acted, and produced. To be able to feel new again, to be able to grab my attention in a way that it did initially when I didn't know it was going to happen, and to and to do that again when I sort of did know ultimately, I thought was, wow, I, I, had, I had a new appreciation for it. And only time, and only that kind of time, and only that kind of putting it on the shelf and not watching it and not knowing every bit of it could have allowed me to have that experience again. And I was grateful for it. I didn't do it on purpose. I think, as I said before, I, 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 I didn't find watching it right after it was off the air, watching it again because I, it was still too fresh, and I, st- I knew where all the twists and turns were going. But now enough time had passed where I, I, I had a general idea, but I didn't know every right and left turn. I didn't know where every minefield was. And every so often I did get a little surprised. Oh, that's right, that's right. And it had me hooked again. And as I watched this show, I really for I I never forgot, but I was certainly reminded of how good James Gandolfini was in this role of Tony Soprano. And and so my point here too is, if you've never watched The Sopranos, and maybe if you're an Italian American, you don't want to watch the show because of the way it depicts Italian Americans. I understand that viewpoint. If you are not a fan of mob shows and mob-related things and violence and and swearing and nudity, there's a lot of you know a lot of the action takes place in the Bada Bing, which is a strip joint, right? So I mean, if you know, and there's some graphic, you know, sex scenes as well. Uh, If some of that is not your cup of tea, I understand that. But I have to also say that if you're a fan of engrossing entertainment, fictionalized as well, remember that. This was fiction. Certainly a lot of things were rooted in real-life types of scenarios, but this was still fiction. It was heightened fiction. But I think if, if you let some of those biases that you may have had about the show Keep you away from it. I would after after experiencing the and again in a small dose. I didn't. Wa- I haven't watched them all. I may go back now and start over again. To be honest with you, but I really believe as if you are just a fan of entertainment, of good drama, of good acting, and of good writing. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're letting some of those other prejudices perhaps keep you away from rediscovering or discovering the show for the first time because I watched this and as I was watching these episodes back to back to back over a two-day period, I just said I had forgotten how good James Gandolfini was in this role. And as a testament to his portrayal of Tony Soprano and it was multifaceted you know it was not cliched it was not Jimmy Cagney it was not Robert De Niro it was not Al Pacino what made the Sopranos different was there was a humanity there was a weakness there was a human frailty that was a part of these characters, even though they acted in very brash and violent and cocky uh, ways. They were brutes. They were violent. They were prejudiced and racist. They, 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 they did embody many of the worst parts of, our, of the human condition but they also did embody other parts of the human condition that we rarely saw portrayed by the gangster in a real way. And I have to say, James Gandolfini did a masterful job of making Tony a complex character and a character that you liked and hated at the same time. He did things that were despicable, that were horrendously violent, that were objectionable. I mean, if handled wrong, if handled, if portrayed in a certain way, there's no way that this character would have, that the show could have lasted because it hinged on the fact that Tony was an anti-hero, that he... We, we rooted for him, even though we did see his terrible side that we should have hated. And there were times when you did hate him, and you saw him for the brute and the bully and the killer that he was. But there were other times when you also saw him as a, as a, a human being, with all the same fears and frailties and complexities and, uh, and insecurities as we all have. And very few have been able to combine both of those in a, in a gangster kind of character. And he did it masterfully. And if you haven't seen that, I would urge you to, to try it put some of if you have some of those those other prejudices about what the show and what it is and what it depicts and how it does it or what it's about, I get that. but try to put some of those things aside and look at the show from this other angle of this character and why we're drawn to him and I watched that and I just shook my head sometimes and I said. You know, I forgot how good Gandolfini was here. And, and perhaps the ultimate compliment that I think you could give to any actor is I can't see anyone else having been able to portray this character. Now, maybe there is somebody that we've never seen before, right? Because Gandolfini came out of nowhere to embody this character and create this character. But of the actors, established in the past or in the present that we are aware of, either in a small way or in a large way, I think James Gandolfini, you can't give him a higher compliment than I cannot imagine anyone else playing Tony Soprano. Now, for instance, you say, well, I mean, can't you say that about anything because this person is, no, you know what? I'll give you one. In the movie Goodfellas, uh, I, I always felt that the lead actor in that movie, to be honest, Ray Liotta, it's really his story. It's Henry Hill's story. Even though Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro are amazing and they pretty much they steal the movie, I think, from him. But I always felt, even though the movie centered on Ray Liotta's character, I felt he was the weakest in that, and I always felt that Alec Baldwin should have played Henry Hill. I think Alec Baldwin, even though he's not Italian, I think Alec Baldwin would have been able to play. Especially at that time in his career, he was that same age, and I and I don't know if he ever uh, auditioned for that or if he ever was in anyone's mind for that. But Alec Baldwin is. A good enough actor and he was uh, at his prime at that time as well that I think he would have been great in Goodfellas and Goodfellas as great of a movie as it was I think with Alec Baldwin it could have been even better so there's a role you say well what are you talking about well yeah there's a role that I, I when I, I think of that and I say geez Alec Baldwin could have played that role but when I watch James Gandolfini in The Sopranos, I don't think there's anyone else that could have played that role. I, but then I was thinking about it, and there was one actor, he was been way too old for it, but maybe in his prime, when he was a little younger, when he was in his 40s, like Gandolfini was, maybe at that time, I could have maybe seen Jack Klugman play Tony Soprano and think about it you know Jack Klugman had a very long career very diverse career he's known most for the odd couple a comedy and then later as uh, Quincy in a drama so when you think about that he was able to play Oscar Madison and Quincy two totally different characters and he played them Amazingly, with with amazing convincingness and authenticity, and Tony Soprano is both brutal and serious and deep and angry, as well as funny and, uh, you know, complex as Oscar Madison was. So maybe a younger Jack Klugman is my possible thought as to who could have played Tony Soprano. But I don't think El Pacino or you know the, the, the usuals, if you will, the De Niro, all these people like that, I'll, I, I, I just don't think they, they could have done it. I think that Gandolfini just brought an authenticity and a realness to be able to make that character likable after some of the most despicable things that you saw him do and say and how he acted, that character, should you should have hated that character. And yet, you were attracted to him. And I said before, it owes as much not only to Gandolfini for playing the role, it also owes a lot to the writing of that show. It's so well written It's so well acted. It's so well produced. So if you've never seen The Sopranos, I would urge you, for whatever reason, if you never saw it, now that it's 15 years since it's been on the air, and more than that, 1999 is when it started, right? So it's over 22 years old when it first appeared. Um, I would urge you to, to take a look at it. I guarantee you, you're going to get hooked. And if you haven't, like me, if you haven't seen The Sopranos in a long time, I would urge you to binge on it for a while. And I, I believe you will not get it, it, it will get under your skin again like it got under mine. Now, as far as the new movie is concerned, I found it, I'm still wrestling with it. I think I'm going to have to watch it again. I'm wrestling with it, I, I, I enjoyed it, I, I didn't love it after the first thing, I didn't, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't stir up all of my Sopranos excitement like the TV show did that I was just watching right before it, up until the, the couple of days before it aired, I, I wasn't getting that, that same kind of juice off of it like I was binging on these, these older episodes. It was it was well written. I also felt it was a little rushed. It it, it it seemed like it was building, 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 and then it ended very quickly. Uh it was interesting interesting to see some of the characters and how they began or what they were like twenty years beforehand. Some of them were a little cartoonish, especially the Steve Van Zandt, Silvio, Silvio Dante character, the actor that portrayed him did him a little over the top. The key to, to this in showing the origins or the early stages of these characters was not to portray them exactly the way they were on the on The, on the Sopranos. If they're growing up in the 60s, we saw The Sopranos in the 90s, in the early 2000s. That's 30, 25, 30 years later. If you are the actor portraying them when these people are in their 20s, the same way that we remember them from when they were in their 40s, you're not being fair to the character. The character then, in in your mind, hasn't changed or grown or or done anything in 20 years. They, they, were, they were who they were, and that's who they were later. You aren't giving any time or any kind of credence to their life experience. Now, perhaps the seeds were sown when they were 20, and people don't change all that much, but they're not exactly the same as they were at 45 or 50 when they were when they were 20. The seeds are there. Maybe the building blocks are there. But there's differences. There's life experience that has gone on in those twenty five years or so that got them to where they were in their forties and fifties. So you can't portray them exactly. And the guy that was doing Silvio, he had every. It it was it was almost an impersonation. It was it was the stature and the way he, he stood and the way he talked and the way he hung his head. And yes, I understand that. There's some people that. That, that, that are the same person they were when they were 20, and they don't grow. I get that. But just through life experience, you change a little. And he, he was almost exact. It was almost cartoonish. I thought the best person, the best portrayal of an earlier character uh, in the movie, as opposed to then the way they were in... The Sopranos was the character actor or the actor who played Uncle June Jr. I think his name is Corey Stahl. And um, he did a good job of not doing an imitation of, of, of bringing a character there was there was enough there that you recognized Uncle June. But there wasn't enough that it looked just like he did when he was 71 that when he was 45 or 50. He didn't just watch old pictures of you know the, the, the Sopranos as, as Uncle June, the character, and then say, okay, I'm just going to do all these idiosyncrasies and do that, like that, the, the guy that did um, Silvio. So I thought Tory, uh, Corey Stahl actually did the best job of all of those. Now, the, the big hype on this, of course, was that James Gandolfini, who sadly passed away at age 51 from a heart attack uh, several years ago, I think it was 2013, um, his son plays the young Tony. So a lot was made from that. It's his son playing that. I thought he did a good job. I don't know if he did a great job. He did a good job. It will be interesting to see if HBO plans on continuing this origin story. What I I thought the film ended a little quick in that it resolved itself very fast. And we see Tony as as a teenager now, 17, 15, 16, 17, who's fighting about getting involved in his father's business. And yet, at the end, he decides to make the decision, and, I, and I'm surprised. I didn't think there was that much of an epiphany for him to make that decision so quickly. He was struggling with it. The film ends with him deciding to do it. What happened in the end of the film, I didn't think was enough to push him over the edge. So we'll see if they decide, perhaps, to continue this with another film or with another series. Who knows? Another person who was very good was um, the woman, the actress who played um, Tony's mom, uh, Vera uh, Fermigia. She's been in a lot of movies. If you ever saw Bates Motel, she played Norman Bates's mother who we never saw except as a dead person and in Norman's mind in the film, in Psycho. And she created a character that you can understand that led Norman to go crazy. And she did a great job here. She did not, once again, she did not imitate Nancy Marchand's character when she was 71. She played her in a way, when she was in her mid-40s where you could see remnants of how that character got where she got when she was in her 70s. And there were some great lines that she had that she referenced that she had said when she was in her 40s that she also said when she was in her 70s, which was great. But she didn't do an imitation. And you could see that character and say, and, and you believed that character in that moment. So I think that the actors who did the the best jobs were those that did not try to imitate the later incarnations of the characters that we knew but but gave them but gave us a hint of who they were and we knew where they were going to be in 20 or 30 40 years and they gave us little hints and they left little crumbs here's how that person got there but they they didn't they gave that character the ability to grow 30 years from then. Whether it was to grow good or bad is beside the point. They gave them that character the ability to change with life as we all do. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a key acting decision. And for me, it made those two characters the most interesting of all of them because they seemed more true and they were more interesting because i didn't know i didn't know them i was learning about them if the, the actors that were doing more of an impersonation of the characters later on they were one dimensional okay well apparently silvio was just always like this apparently paulie walnuts was always like this okay can't go anywhere with that nothing to learn i know it already i've already i saw it for you know for 8 years on the tv show you're not showing me anything new what Vera and with Corey showed me in theirs was, oh, okay, interesting. When they were younger, they were like this. And when they got older, they were like that. Huh. So that's where there was a change. Or this is where she started and this is where she ended. This is where he started. This is where he ended. Interesting. That's what made it interesting. So I don't know yet. I liked the many saints of Newark because I'm a fan of the Sopranos. It was an interesting story. I thought it was there was a very surprisingly hacky kind of element used. Ray Liotta, ironically, I just mentioned him earlier, was never in The Sopranos. Apparently, he turned down a role. He didn't want to do another mob thing after he was so so closely associated with God with with, with Goodfellas. But of course, now you know. Sopranos is iconic show. He wanted in, so he is in it. And they did something that they usually avert to on soap operas. They had Ray Liotta's character, and he, but he was playing twins. So he played one guy. He played Christopher Molisante's grandfather, and then he played his uncle as well. Because his his father had, or his grandfather had a twin brother who was in prison, and they, I I just I I don't know if it was a way to keep Ray Liotta in the film more, but that did not work for me at all. That was a the the, the twin brother hacky thing in order to keep an actor around. I mean, they do that on General Hospital, you know. Not on a Sopranos thing. So that surprised me. I don't think that was necessary. I mean, it was fine if he had a brother in jail, but why Ray Liotta? Why have him playing both characters? Did not work for me at all. I tuned that out. And I think it could have been more powerful. Because, interestingly enough, it almost, the dynamic between Christopher's father and this other twin brother almost became like Malfi and... Tony Soprano, almost like a a psychiatrist and patient relationship, which which was an interesting dynamic. But with Ray Liotta playing the the living twin brother in jail, it just felt too hacky to me, and I was disappointed by that. So I have to say, right now, I would give the many saints of Newark two and a half edging on three stars out of four, but not a solid three yet. I'm going to have to see it again. And the fact that I have to do that lends me to believe that, you know, I'm trying to like it more than I really did. But I'm going to try it again, I think. Maybe I missed something. But uh, it was interesting to see the characters again. And at the very least, I'm glad for the existence of the Many Saints of Newark because it gave me a new exposure to and a new appreciation of and a new regenerized excitement for The Sopranos, which I always have always felt was one of my favorite shows. And I always had a weird thing. I was like, well, if it's one of my favorite shows, why don't I, why haven't I, why don't I watch it all the time? And now I think I figured out why. Because it was so cool and so different in every episode, there was such great anticipation that it became an event and you, you were watching it and, and you were at completely uh, in its enthrall and to know where it was going. Now couldn't hold that same kind of excitement, but with time has passed. It did. So at the very least, if there's never another Sopranos movie or never another Sopranos series, I'm grateful for The Many Saints of Newark because it made me appreciate how much I enjoyed The Sopranos, how much I, I uh, respect and have great esteem for James Gandolfini's portrayal as Tony Soprano. And it reminded me of what it was like to really be taken by a piece of drama, of fiction, of something made up and then come to life. It's why I go to the theater. It's why I enjoy acting myself to, to do that. I can only hope that there's times when I've been able to to make people forget that they were watching something and actually get into it. That's what The Sopranos did. It was that well-written, and that well-acted. So if you are an old Sopranos fan, I would suggest go back and watch it and rediscover it. And if you it was never on your radar screen or you never watched it, I would suggest go and discover it. Interestingly enough, during the pandemic, The Sopranos has been one of the most popular shows that people have gone because people had time on their hands. And apparently for people that were too young are now discovering The Sopranos for the first time in their 20s and 30s, perhaps. One of the most popular shows viewed during the pandemic is The Sopranos. So perhaps there's a whole new generation now discovering it just like new generations discover a lot of shows before their time. The Office, for one, now has become a cult favorite as it got on Netflix and people discovered it, even though it was, it was in reruns and it was on NBC. But they never watched it. They were too young. They, they, didn't, they weren't interested. But now they discovered it, and it's one of the most popular you know, comedies of all time because more people are discovering it. Maybe that will happen with The Sopranos again. It deserves another look, or it deserves a first look for someone if you're too young or if you missed it the first time. If you did miss it the first time, or if you never saw it, in the words of Livia Soprano, poor you! And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, Tell your friends, tell your family, send them a link, send them a message. Let them know that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion and that little extra effort is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 281. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Oh, for you. Oh, poor you!